Hello. Welcome to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. I am your host. I am Ted King. and We've got a good one in store today. Nope, we have a great one. Give the people what they want. I've had a whole handful of friends and loyal listeners reach out suggesting that we have today's guest, Allison Jackson, on the show. And here we are. Allison Jackson, Canadian professional cyclist. She gets to boast this fact every single day without even saying it as she rides, trains, and races in that standout Canadian national champion jersey. Oh man, it is a good one. It's that classic white jersey with a big, bold red maple leaf front and center. Not only that, she gets that jersey in two disciplines. She is Natty Champ in both the road race and time trial. One heck of a feat to take those titles, both in the same year. She's an Olympian as well, having represented Canada at the recent Tokyo Games. Massive sixth place finish in a super tight World Championships road race last year. She won a World Tour race last year. Folks, this girl is on fire. Now, she's got the chops on the bike, clearly. She is also something of a social media maven, so if you don't yet follow her, head over to Allie Action Jackson to find your highly entertaining Instagram feed especially. Her posts are great, and her videos are, quite frankly, the stuff of legend. We'll talk about Allison's upbringing, how she's found this sport coming from the unlikely place of a bison farm in rural Canada, her meteoric start, and then continual rise through the ranks. We'll talk about changes taking place in the sport, comparisons to men's and women's cycling at the highest level. There is a lot going on in this one. I know you are going to dig it, so no need to hear me talk anymore. Let's jump right in with this superstar, Allison Jackson. So, so you say a nice weather day in BC. Here we are on February tenth, twenty twenty. What is what does nice day consist of? Because I think that spectrum is relative. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, here, um, yeah, in Vancouver area, a nice day is uh, if it's not raining, downpour raining. Even uh-huh. a little sprinkle is fine, but yeah, winter riding's wet riding. Um. How long have have you called BC home? Yeah, I came out here first for university, um, 2007, 2008. Um, And then, but yeah, I mean, I have um, three part-time homes, one where I grew up in Alberta, one out here in BC, and then one in Spain. Yep, 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 yep. Um, So here... I am in Vermont. This is I'm born and raised in New England. I like the professional cyclists among us uh, chased good weather for a good portion of my career, and I called Girona home. Every time I was back in New England, I would see family and friends and catch up for a relatively brief period of time before chasing warmer weather. And it wasn't until calling Vermont home now in quote unquote retirement that I've really settled in and worked very hard on acquiring all of the hardware and soft goods, like the right fender system, the right post-ride cleaning accoutrements, even down to like the right hose and brush and gloves. I mean, this, you know, asking a Canadian, 
where you know a thing or two about uh, less than ideal weather conditions, how do you feel you are in terms of the preparation of purely ownership of all of the things that go into winter riding? Yeah, I mean, it helps that I've been on Dutch team for the last That'll three seasons uh -huh. because they also understand a wet, cold winter. And so the... Yeah, when I've been on Californian teams or American, you know, you all your kit and clothing is so nice for the summertime, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but not for like winter riding, Canadian winter riding. So, yeah, I mean, and also it's actually cool how much technology goes into clothing. Um, and of course, it, it's for like each person also has. Um, their yeah favorite set of whatever like maybe some people their the feet you know, they have to get like the best whatever shoe covers because their feet are the work you know get the cold first or their your hands or you need something for your face or whatever uh -huh. but uh -huh. yeah um, and then for bike wash systems yeah I've got like the same setup both in Alberta and here it's yeah the tried and true just like round paintbrush you know the sponge like a and not too thick of a wash sponge but like a you know that like little less than an inch thick so it can like fit, squeeze in all the places uh -huh. yeah uh -huh. <laughs> i remember going to uh it was it was a bike shop but then i've also seen this translated to a very custom home so this is certainly not what's happening in our basement but the they had an individual bike wash stall i mean basically it was a shower for the mm. bike and you know you think about how convenient that would be to finish up a slushy muddy icy ride you can clean yourself at the same time as cleaning your bike and you don't feel as bad as when you do in a say hotel after a, a particularly <laughs> gnarly stage um okay so so i raced i think all three editions of no sorry there were more editions i raced three editions of the tour of alberta um and i think it was only one year 2015 that that the race receives permissions to start to get into the mountains. So in my mind, Tour of Alberta was relatively flat, a few little rollers, but by and large a pretty flat area. Vermilion, Alberta, which I think is where you were born and raised, is much more on yeah. par with those flatter stages. So tell me, growing up on a bison farm in Vermilion, Alberta, how does one get into professional cycling? Yeah, good question. Because really, growing up, there were no cyclists. Even now, when I'm riding out there, it's actually amazing. What I mean, I ride on um, the high. I can't. I really have to just discover gravel roads to have any sort of interesting ride. Yeah. But otherwise, like when I'm riding, when at first when I started, and I was like, oh, we got to ride on you know pavement. If I took a right turn on on the the next paved road that there was. And made a square. That square was 150 kilometers. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> You're out there. <laughs> but what's also amazing is when I'm on these roads, like I am the only cyclist and the traffic is so nice. Like trucks and cars, they slow down. They uh -huh. go like way to the other side, like the change lanes completely and are basically like, what is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is this Martian? What is she doing? Yeah, what is this? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I when I was a kid, I learned how to ride a bike, but then really, I didn't get my first bicycle until I was nineteen. 
and just sort of stumbled upon um, like an old bike road, um, yeah, into town a little bit when I, this was like university, um, and then found a little triathlon group that they pulled me in, um, and yeah, then from there, here we go. But yeah. And so, what is what's what is what is Vermilion like? I mean, if, my understanding is it's a small town. Obviously, not a big city. If your four right turns yep. are uh, 150 kilometers, <laughs> uh, am I correct? Is it a bison farm that you grew up on? Yeah, bison ranch. Uh, yeah, green farm, bison ranch. Lots of fields and dirt and animals and tractors. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. A lot of outdoor time, manual labor chores. Uh, yeah, farming's life. Any athletic propensity among your family? Um, you know what? Uh, not so much. Uh, my mom a little bit uh, growing up, and then my dad was just like full farmer mode. But yeah. um, there's a there's a fitness there, or like an endurance. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then otherwise, like, yeah, growing up as a kid, uh, as a sport kid in a small town, you then have to play all the sports so that we have a team. Yeah. So once you do one, you have to do them all just so that we have a team. So, yeah, I really had this like multi-sport sure. background. Nice. Okay, let's do something of a reverse chronology and start in, in 2021 because on paper, I would say that's something of a standout year. Um, and, and I want to put the ball in your court. So amid a year with a whole bunch of stellar accolades that, that you might call a career highlight on their own and you, you were able to stuff them all in a year. Were there any particular that stand out among, among the calendar year 2021? Yeah. Um, no, for sure. Um, I mean, really in that, in that, in 2021, I ticked off a lot. Like when you have this list of like career goals of like, you know, this is like the dream. If I can make these, like I've, I've really like made, made a name for myself. I feel accomplished in my career. Um, and yeah, hit a bunch of those this year, um, which is amazing. And then, yeah, now we just get a dream bigger, but basically I've been mean, going to the Olympics for sure. Um, and yeah, winning a world tour stage race, double national champion, uh, which absolutely right. When you get to wear that, national champ jersey all year um what a honor and privilege so that is just so exciting and then yeah uh best performance to date at worlds um with six um and now you know yeah we we're just like trying to reframe our our goals and dream bigger um with confidence to be able to accomplish more sure we're so taking those off Olympian, two-time national champion, mm -hmm. winning world tour stage, uh, your best ever uh, world championship finish in sixth place. Were any of those unexpected, or, or I mean, I suppose the question is: Was there any surprise among any of those results? Yeah, um, actually, the whole thing, the whole summer started off with a surprise. Um, I got a late call up to the Olympics. So two weeks before the race, I got the call that a spot opened up and I could go. And basically, like with Canada, our qualifying um, 
yeah, finished in 2019. Yep. And in 2019, and generally Canada has three spots. Um, was banking on that. I'm a um, road special to special list and not um, a time trialist where the other two top Canadians are. Um, we would have two time trial spots that also have to do the road race. And then we would get that one just road spot, which would be, um, yeah, the spot I was aiming for. Um, but just how the Olympics is with some of the um, reallocation shuffle around. Cause I mean, the Olympic, ex- the Olympic spirit is getting lots of nations to compete. Um, not necessarily the best of the best, but, you know, across, spread it across the nations, which is a beautiful thing, but it's a bit, you know, um, right. As a sport person, you want to see the best of the best, but yeah, the spirit of the Olympics um, actually then reallocated a few spots, took a spot away from Canada to give to another country. So yeah, at the end of 2019, I was really just on the cusp of, like this roller coaster, like I'm in and then oh, I'm not sure. And then I'm in and then oh, I'm not sure. And then, yeah, in the end, uh, no, Canada only, yeah, then could take two athletes. Um, and then, yeah, that was, you know, then we went all through 2020, come to 2021. Um, and yeah, just the two weeks before the event. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of shuffle around with COVID, with other things. So, um, yeah, some nations, uh, yeah, had a pull out, uh, and then Canada got got the spot back. Um, so, yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, I was at home in Canada, training, preparing for other races to peak a little later. Um, but yeah, when you get that call, it's not something you say no to. So you jump in, and uh, you know, um, you gotta stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I guess. <laughs> But I think, like, you know, um, it was such a bonus for me, such a bonus for Canada, for the other girls that were going, that, that really there was no pressure on me. And and even for me and myself, it was really like, well, um, all I can do and all I can give is what I have right now. And it might not have been the most specific preparation uh, for that event, but um all the heart, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, was really pleasantly surprised at, at my performance and what I could do, and that just got yeah the ball rolling. So I think, I think after that, you know, uh, for me, um, I really got to take that. I had that positive post Olympic energy where I saw a lot of athletes. You know, when you use the Olympics as your only motivation, and especially with the pandemic, so now you're not. You're not, it's not just one year you're aiming for this. You're using that as your motivation through the pandemic and then through 2021. Mm-hmm. And then you get there and then, I mean, you know, there's so many more broken hearts than there are triumphs. And, um, yeah, and when that, that's gone and if that has been your only motivation for two years, four years, five years, um, it's really hard to – get back going and in cycling we still have a full season a full season of races that are really important to our professional teams um yeah and so i think yeah um for me though i really could just use yeah the olympics as just like a boost um for myself and confidence and um yeah and also encourage bold racing because i think while we're seeing a lot of um yeah um, more depth in the women's field of racing, um, bigger teams, better programs, more stability. And 
Yeah, and I think um, our dynamic sort of racing is really favoring bold, strong athletes. Uh, so yeah, I got to take advantage of that a little bit throughout the throughout the season. Um, and then from there, yeah, going to nationals really saw that it was my race to lose. Um, and but you know, going into it uh, knowing that it was absolutely possible. Um, and then. Yeah, worlds to um, having the confidence of the girls that I raced the Olympics with. I mean, that was that's our dream team, uh, mm-hmm. Team Canada with Leah Kirchner and Caroline Canuel. So, taking that team also then to worlds, um, and those girls were really excited about what I could do. And when you have the belief of your teammates, who you know are studs themselves. Um, and they're going to ride for you and ruin for you. That gives you a lot of, um, you know, positive pressure. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, the, yeah, you hit on a lot of really important things in, in the general sport of cycling and sort of, you know, life in general as well, which is the success rate in bike races is so, is so small. And it, mm. you know, I mean, and therefore you end up at the start line with, your own set of uh call it pursuits right like you're not everybody is even i was a domestique in my career so i'm not ever lining up on a line being like well today's the day that i'm going to win but i can succeed in reasons x y and z Mm -hmm. and i can also fail in reasons x y and z so you know big sort of sort of thirty-five thousand foot question how do you how do you deal with adversity in a sport that i mean in in, a mid-year profession and sport where the success rate is so low the way you just described it sounds very positive that that can't always be the case how do you deal with adversity yeah you know i think it's all about balance right and um if you only have cycling as your only thing uh, your value gets really attached to performance outcomes. Um, and so then things like injury or yeah, not missing the mark on what you, what your goals were, those things really hit heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I came into the sport a little later, like I got my first professional contract when I was 25. And I think, and I think I brought with that just a bit more of, life maturity too where um yeah i've got other interests and other things that i dabble in that really give me a, a lot of confidence and energy um so when there's a you know when there's a you know the, when the, the the pendulum will will swing with you know am i feeling really confident by gracing then yeah let's live in that and dig into that and when it's not going so well, the pendulum often shifts to those other things outside of the sport that are really life-giving. And we dig into that and, you know, yeah, know that it's going to, you know, swing back and forth. And and, and knowing that, you know, we got to have – we have a micro view sometimes of, you know, where it's good as our last race. Um, and I, I think I do really well to think, like, bigger picture and think of, like, season goals and also – you know, I, uh, some of my best like racing memories are when I've been a part of someone else's success. Mm-hmm. So, uh, world championships that were in Innsbruck, um, 2018, uh, 
I was the difference maker for our team for um, our other Canadian girl to come in sixth place. And that was her best result um, at a world championships. Uh, but it only could happen because where we were in the, you know, there was a split in the group. I came up with the second group and saw that our leader was there. And I thought, I, you know, like what the heck this like this girl can do so well in this race. And I could see just like, you know, the tops of the, the bikes on the cars, um, ahead of us and just pulled that whole group like full gas all you know to the bottom of the climb to let her go um but it was stuff like that that yeah absolutely like what am i i'll end up 80th or whatever right um but to really champion to really feel that, that my teammate's success was mine when you can shift that to um yeah <laughs> then i make a lot of other people's success is mine and it really helps yeah my own yeah, confidence or, you know, taking all these two, like collecting them as reference points. Uh, mm -hmm. So when you are, yeah, unsuccessful or sitting at home because you got the in injury, um, to think back of these little celebrations that you really took the time to sit in and, yeah, keep bringing those up and reliving those. Um, yeah, because we're never stuck in one moment for too long. I mean, life keeps moving and shifting, and um, yeah, staying open to the next, the next best thing, I guess. Yeah, I'm curious with the success of of. I feel like the sport of cycling is changing right now, as we have hyper talented, really young riders, and I'm curious mm -hmm. without that backing of life experiences, either in the sport or <laughs> elsewhere, how they are gonna pivot and uh i mean you know I, I i don't anticipate them not having a good result and retiring the next day but you know it, it i think it'll be really interesting to see how they they learn and move forward um amid the sport that's just sort of changing in front of us anyway um the way the way you described um um the year in general reminded me of a particular uh, fantastic video that you've created in terms of how the women's inaugural Paris-Roubaix would unfold. So to our to our uninformed listener, be sure to check out all things Alley Action Jackson, TikTok and Instagram in particular. And, and you have this really great uh, uh, back and forth with yourself about Paris-Roubaix, on, off, on, off, on, off. Now, Obviously, Paris-Roubaix as a race is historic for any number of reasons, not least of which the 125 years of of its its male editions, and so it's about gosh darn freaking time that we have the first Paris-Roubaix women's edition, which took place in 2021. Uh -huh. Talk to me about the milestone of racing the inaugural Paris-Roubaix, how it went, what you liked, what you hated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's a race that every athlete will have a love hate relationship with, you know, because every year what brings you like, it's such a tough, hard race, the whole thing. Um, and so much is out of your control. Um, weather crashing, getting caught up in a crash behind a crash, <laughs> getting popped off the road. Like there's just, you know, flats, whatever. Um, but the, I think what keeps you coming back is um, 
when you see how right in that race, you just got to keep going. And sometimes you're like, I'm done, but you keep going. You're passing people, you're picking people off and you think, and, you know, and then you come to a place where you're like, wow, like that was actually anything can happen and you just got to keep going. So that hope of a rider that this could be the moment, this could be the time, this could be the, the day that I'm going to, I'm going to win this or do well. Yeah. Um, or like, yeah, for me, for the first edition, I had two crashes um and yeah it, you know ended 20 actually i can't even remember 24th 22nd <laughs> and, um but you know you think okay well i mean i had these like two moments of bad luck if i don't have any bad luck then can you imagine what you yeah, can yeah. do and i think like that's a story of every athlete and you just think oh if i could get a good run where like i have just no bad luck everything goes well for me then man, the win is in reach. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, and, but really, I mean, it's such a brutal race when you're like over those cobbles by the end, you know, you just want to like anything you can do to not have to ride a cobble, you know, the, all the fans that are standing just like, out, you know, you can't really, they're not standing in the ditch or on just like, like the little sliver of grass beside the road, mm-hmm. but you're going to barge like full gas as close as you can to them. It doesn't even matter. Cause you, anything to yeah. not run off those cobbles, you know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, what a battle, but you know, for us, um, finally getting, I mean, what was one good thing that came out of the pandemic? The women getting yeah. the first edition of Perry Rubey. Uh-huh. Um, the, the air though, like at the start line or even like, you know, where the, the team pit where everyone is, is waiting before warming up before the the race starts like the air was different um everyone in cycling knows that it's such a historic race that it's that we're making history being a part of this um getting to where for me i gotta wear you know i'm national champion i get to wear the maple leaf for the first ever edition the first national canadian female national champion to be in this race um so much um excitement but also like we have no previous additions to know how the race is going to play out. Like all we have is speculation on who is this race going to be good for? And, and you know, how are these athletes going to tell the story of this race? So yeah, just very exciting. How about uh, the, the mental preparation or the physical (laughs) preparation? I mean, the, the race does stand out among everything else on the calendar because it is so, gnarly not least of which i raised four pair bays and your weather was hands down way worse than anything i did so it's sort of uh it's wild that the the inaugural woman's race was under such uh precarious conditions um did that lend itself to that that strange something that's going on in the air at the start yeah, I really felt like we got fully baptized into that race, you know. Yeah. Um, I and also it makes it. Yeah, we haven't had these additions of like you know bad weather, good weather. I mean, with some time, we're gonna get the feel of how that changes the course, how that changes like how people race. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I love is that it. I mean, Perry Bay is totally for spectators. Yes. Right. I mean. Um, you, 
And that was actually one thing that I was super disappointed about the women's race is that it was not televised from kilometer zero because the whole thing tells a story is action packed. People want to see every moment, like any moment on any cobble piece, there could be some major drama and you want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when you're watching it and you just think, wow, this is so epic. And while you're racing it, you're just like, get me to the finish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. The, and and yeah, uh, like literal preparation differences. I mean, presumably riding mm. a wider tire, more bar tape, gloves, no gloves, that whole thing. Yeah. So, and that that's also something that right we don't have experience with, and um, you know, s- some teams also don't have a Roubaix specific bike. You know, in on the men's side, there's a lot of. Um, bike companies that have done so much testing to make the right fit for a bike. Um, yeah. To, to make, to just enhance your chances of success at this race. Uh, but also, you know, every athlete develops their own feel on what they like and what will work for them on all these cobbled services. So, you know, we do, you can do a ton of recon, but I mean, that's, you're riding with your friend. It's casual. There's not, you, you know, you can bear, you can just like lightly rest your hands on the handlebar. You don't have to grab onto anything because it's safe. You're with your pals. Yeah. Uh, but then in the race, yeah, it becomes a, a whole different thing. Now you gotta, yeah, elbow your way up through, um, hold on, hold on to those bars a little tighter. So, yeah, as much recon as that you can do with, yeah, is this tire pressure going to work for me? Um, yeah, do I go gloveless? Um, you know what the things. Yeah, you really need just like a full race to really decide um, and tweak from there. But yeah, um, I mean, we use the same frames that we used all year, the Live Langma, um, which you can fit a wider tire in it. You can fit a 30 in it if you if you want. So we had, um, yeah, raced on uh, 30s, low tire pressure, and um, yeah, also gloveless. Um, which worked fine for me in all the recons, no blisters at all. Race day definitely had the blisters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny living in the age of the explosion of gravel bikes. I feel like Mm. it would be a blast to go ride the Roubaix cobbles with like a 44 millimeter slick tire and huge clearance. Right. And yeah, you know, you obviously don't need the gear range that you see on gravel bikes, but it's, it's, well, I mean, I assume racers are are doing 28s and 30 mil, and like that's the still to this day the narrowest tire that I've ridden in in a half dozen years. So it's yep. It will be interesting to see that evolution amid a very traditional sport and this burgeoning world of gravel. Okay, so so a long while ago, I started by saying let's do reverse chronology. Mm. Um, 2018, 2019. I mean, as as I look at your results. 2021 is a standout year, but throughout your career and in 2018, 2019, uh, perhaps especially, like you are knocking at the door. There's a couple wins. You're mm-hmm. always up there in the top 10, whether it be a one-day race, stage race. Um, going back to 2017, our mutual friend, uh, Just Sarah, said, hey, why don't, why don't I ask you about some of your cultural experiences being on um, what might be called a quintessentially <laughs> Italian team? Which is yeah. something that I can appreciate having done four years with, with liquid gas, which is as Italian as it gets. So 
the question being any crazy experiences stand out what is what is it like being a north american on on you know this i can't help but say it but quintessentially italian team yeah you know from that that year alone i always say makes me a great dinner guest because i have story <laughs> on story of things that just you have to you know right you have that mo those moments where like before you make it before you really make it a good program um you know you, you got respect so you know you can push the envelope for the, some of the things that you need or you want to perform but like <laughs> until then when you're just trying to make it i mean the things that you allow or you enter into um <laughs> yeah are uh questionable i suppose but mm -hmm. yeah um i mean i was the only english speaker so but the team at the time was half italian half russian oh, wow. and basically we had like 18 b team 18 was all italian b team was was mostly russian uh -huh. but <laughs> i mean oh yeah uh so i mean it was fun to learn Italian, uh -huh. um, but I mean, Italians love the three hour long dinners um, and talking so fast. I'm just like sitting at the table, but <laughs> like the, the Italian spirit, I totally connect with like fun, laughing, joking, but you know, and I'm laughing along with all the jokes, but I don't understand a word that they're saying. <laughs> It's just like when people laugh, I'm laughing. And so the teammates would say to me, like, oh, you understand? And I would just be like, no, yep. but I'm laughing along <laughs> anyway, you know? Uh, uh, also, it's interesting, like, when you're, you know, it's like what language you speak, you have a personality attached to that. Mm -hmm. So the personality I have as an English speaker is quite outgoing, love to get into the jokes, but, you know, my language skills in Italian are not there yet to really, like, engage that way. So I'm um, – and we drove everywhere uh, to every race. Yeah. Uh, so those 14-hour drives, and, you know, I only can connect via Wi-Fi to any right. <laughs> internet. So I'm just, like, reading books. I'm, like, the book reader. And so I'm sure my team just thought, you know, like, oh, this, like, girl, she's so quiet. She just reads her book. But then all of a sudden, if we're at a race and I see any person remotely I know who speaks English, yeah. I, I'm, I'm acting like they are my best friend. And I'm, like, <laughs> talking and so <laughs> exaggerated and so much energy. It's, like, these two totally, yeah, different people. But I have uh, – I remember – so we were going to Plue. <laughs> Um, but we have to wake up 4 a.m. so that we can catch a flight. We fly into Paris. Then you drive six hours <laughs> where the race is. You do your two-hour spin, have your dinner at 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. We race in the next day, like in the morning, we race yeah. the next day. And I remember just thinking, like, you know what? This whole thing is not for performance. Like, this is not how you really get the most out of an athlete, having sure. this, like, super long travel day. And... Um, so, okay, we're in the race. You know, I'll do the race. I'm already basically like, yeah, res have reserved myself to just like finishing the race. That's what I'm going to do. But then um, in the end, like we're in the end, I'm in the final group and we're coming, you know, it's that downhill, uphill kicker, um, start my, and that's almost like when I realized like, oh, like try to win the race. <laughs> and we come in in this like 
basically it's like the whole group i think there's 30 in that group but like 15 across the line like like you know one long <laughs> horizontal line trying to get to to the finish and yeah it would have been that like you know a difference of a, a wheel or a tire width between first and 15th basically yeah. and uh and yeah so in but you know it's like things like that when you enter into something that's hard <laughs> um it gives me reference points of like okay actually i had the worst prep Uh um but what actually kept me back from like like i was 15th compared to first it was totally a mentality thing of where i was already i had already lost the race before i started and it really didn't have to do with all that preparation and stuff so i think i mean our sport can be so such a mental game um and sometimes yeah it's our mentality that that loses us the race versus what our body can actually do. And I think for me, yeah, going through a lot of these hard hard moments on the Italian team, uh, just kind of put those, those, um, I guess, stories in my pocket that I pull out later when I feel like I haven't had the best prep. And I think, what the heck, um, if my mind is in it, who knows? Let's just see what my body can do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a cultural experience. Um, yeah, and it's not until you've lived that as the sole Anglo in an Italian world that that you can really appreciate all of those moments. So I hear you yep. loud and clear. Um, okay, and then all the way back in two thousand fifteen, um, mm. I think I think your first ever pro bike race was was relatively uh standout is that accurate was it at redlands yeah so i think that season like yeah we did valley of the sun we did chico okay um and then yeah redlands mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean like i was hired out that was my first year um i had done some races at bc super week gas town whatever um but i really had no results i had some good running times the team kind of took me on as like a walk-on like hey we'll teach you some tricks and and uh yeah you know see if you can be you know a good teammate on the team or whatever and um yeah chico was the race where we our top riders were all in europe and so we didn't have a clear leader and it was just like first day it was like well i mean we'll just like it's open like we'll see what happens um but yeah i won that first stage and then basically it was like well that you know then they rode for me for the crit won the stage so um we come to redlands and yeah our you know winners were still in um in europe um yeah and redlands i mean that's like a a deep historic race of of north american road racing Mm -hmm. and also like that is where I mean, you need races where anyone can get to and then can have a breakout um, result, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, that's that's what it was for me. The the first stage, um, yeah, the you know, it was, they were giving me the opportunity to win. Um, what was it? Three, three laps ago, I crashed mm-hmm. <laughs> in the feed zone. Um, coming from the back, I'm coming back on, just, like, staying calm. I know the course. 
you know, picking up people slowly, slowly getting to the front and then yeah, final climb full gas. And, uh, yeah, gotta, gotta put my arms up, nice. which is pretty cool. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. Jess's, Jess's telling was similar to that. Were you teammates with Jess in 2015? Yeah. Tw- yeah. Okay. She's, she, you've got a fan in just Sarah. She is, she's an outstanding human. Um, okay. So what I've come to see in, in, in the sport of cycling, and maybe it's starkly obvious to everybody else, but it's taken me a really long time to, to appreciate this is that cycling it's, it's an evolution and it's very fluid. And, you know, the sport now is different than when I stopped racing in 2015 the sport in 2015 was way different than than the 10 years prior to when I got into it. Mm. Um, your your first pro contract was 2015, and here yeah. we are seven years later. Um, in in you know, I'm telling you, the sport is different now than it was then. If you believe that, I'm I'm curious what you see as differences now versus then. And, and this, this could be across the board, like how the races are raced, how teams are run, media, um, the, the consumption of sports. What, what do you suppose you've seen over your time in, in pro cycling? Yeah. Um, you know, when I came in, like the North American racing scene was strong. Sure. Um, and we had a lot of a lot of races, European teams wanted to come over. I mean, we had the Philly Classic World Tour race. Uh, Winston-Salem also was gaining clout for um, being, yeah, 1.1 UCI racing, yeah, Tour of California. We had some of these other, you know, UCI races that, yeah, are great races and really attractive to, yeah, on an international level. Um, yeah, but... How did you follow those races? Twitter feeds, really shitty Twitter feeds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, you go to Europe and it's the same thing and, and it's a different time zone. I remember just like my mom trying to follow along and you had, you had to find all these obscure, like for women's racing, it was like you had to find like obscure, like it was a mechanic from one team that was going to, you know, tweet this race. And if he was there, then you'd want to follow him or, yeah. you know, maybe it's like some, another fan that great or like, so, um, you know, we have now like a couple of broadcasting places where, um, yeah, you, you can watch women's racing. And I think that's what's going to be the base of a, a viewership, a fan base. Um, we have like a lot of fans that are diehards because you had to go through all the mm-hmm. rigmarole to like find how you could watch. Um, and now it's easy and it's consistent. And that's how you gain viewership or a fan base when you when people know where to go to watch the race they know it's going to be available then yeah that consistency um yeah so good and and we also are seeing a much deeper um field like now there's there's like a top 30 40 um yeah, riders in in the peloton that can win these races, whereas before you'd have these like super standouts, like just these studs that could win. They, I mean, you know, win the super climbing mountain races plus win a sprint plus win. I mean, they're just like 
these all-rounders that could do it all. And now we're seeing them, you know, we have very specific roles, sprinters that are, that are going to win sprints, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but can't make it on the mountain stages, mountain uh, climbers that are going to go for those GC parts, but we're not going to put them in the classics. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas before you'd see these like skinny girls also riding the, the Flandern cobbles, you know, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you know now, like uh, when we have those more specific roles, and we also see our team dynamics changing a little bit more, um, and it is more about team and what the team can do versus what one person can do. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and like now we have like having a role as a domestique was such an underrated role. But I know, like, when I have success, I've tried winning races on my own. <laughs> and I can do okay. Sometimes I can get in the top 10. But if I want to win, i got to have the team. I can't do it on my own. Um, and that is because now we're seeing just, like, better quality racing, um, stronger riders, more experience. Um, the economy is better in women's cycling. So. Yeah. So girls will stay in it longer and that experience just enhances the whole uh, level of, of women's racing. Um, yeah. And then we have like groups like the cyclist Alliance um, run by former pros that are really pushing for just like what athletes need, what female athletes need, how can we better the sport, mm-hmm. the sport culture and economy how we can, um, yeah, really listening to riders' voices to push the US, UCI, um, give assistance to to athletes so abuse doesn't happen. Like, um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's really exciting to see the the direction that we're heading in, and it, and it every year it just increases exponentially the the parameters that we're pushing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, amid the the change that is taking place in the sport, um, I mean, I think I think something like the Cyclist Alliance is so powerful. I mean, we talk about we often talk about stakeholders, right? I mean, there there are riders, there are teams, there are team owners. You have mm-hmm. media outlets. You have Velon uh, on the. I think they're they're in mail only, but ASO, CPA, CPA woman. And so you have all these different stakeholders like that each want their claim yeah. and need their claim and need to have a profession out of it. And, and I feel like so often it's, it's, it's the riders that are, are run over, you know, yeah. because team owners need to do their thing and, and media needs to do their thing. And, and it's like, Oh, you guys, you're replaceable. And the reality is you're not the writers, the riders make the sport. Um, yeah. And the, the thing is like, as a rider, what do you want to do? You just want to ride. Yeah. And so to, but we need, I mean, in our sport, in the women's side, we've really had to be a more well-rounded person because we've had to do a lot of, yeah, self-advocating, um, you know, our own media stuff or like helping people find where the Twitter is or mm-hmm. yeah, creating our own brands or, you know, um, and yeah, and advocating for rights and races and, and, uh, yeah, but it, it's exhausting. I mean, you, you, yeah, an athlete, you just want to race. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and that's why sometimes I think you tolerate, 
you know, a little bit more of what you shouldn't because, yeah, it's it's just a whole nother workload to try to to manage some of those other stuff. And, and uh, yeah, the answer for women's cycling is not, um, you know, m- make it into how we- how men's cycling is run. And I think sometimes that's just in the afterthought and that we'll just like herd the, as the women's field girls, we'll just herd it into like another, yeah, exactly how the, the men's group is. And there's a lot of problems in how uh, professional men's racing mm-hmm. is managed. Uh, and so, yeah, the cyclist alliance is, is really it's just like th- that voice, uh, that keeps kind of poking the bear, um, to, yeah, think of us as, yeah, our own, um, sport entity, our own economic enterprise. Um, yeah. And it takes a lot of pressure off the athlete themselves to try to manage all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious in the spectrum of time where where everything is going to be two decades down the road 50 years from now right i mean like you raced the first perrier bay this 2022 will be the the i I believe well i shouldn't say that Uh, i was going to say i believe the first tour de france femme yep what eight day stage race there has been stage races around there there have been one day races but it's it's all like it is this progression and it's a two step forward, one step back, two step forward, one step back. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, what, like what will be the, the just assumed norm in a handful more years, seasons? Uh, yeah. I mean, do you have a crystal ball? Do you, do you see this, this progress? Am I accurate in that estimate or is it such a goofily, traditional sport that it's going to somehow like knock itself out and, and be back in its traditional right? ways. Yeah. I know we see it on such a rise right now and you know, that it's not sustainable, right. To always be, you know, like pushing and pushing and pushing. I think at some point we need the, and it, you know, that's how life rolls. Like we have these like mm-hmm. peaks and valleys. So, you know, some of that is still going to happen, but I really hope, you know, I think that, um, as an entertainment business, that part is really growing. And I, so I think that we'll have some of those yeah, growing pains. Um, but yeah. Oh man, to think 50, it's so hard to imagine so far ahead, you know, yeah. when we look like 50 years back, Oh man, that's the change that has happened then. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I think probably from my perspective still right now, is like, I just want to, I just love, I love racing bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Right. I'm so invested in just like the game and the training and um, yeah, just pushing the limits on that, on that side that, um, you know, again, I'm so thankful that there are others um, that have, that now are on the other side that are really pushing on the, on the business and economic side. Um, And I just, yeah, support them Mm -hmm. as much as much as I can but right like I'm so invested in it just like right now that um yeah it probably is hard to imagine or even yeah do I have like a goal you know how what I would like to see um happen um yeah I I do you know it is interesting like with the Perry-Roubaix it was like wow you know what a good step forward for women's cycling but the thing was like we're still only at, yeah, what well, that race was just like 110 kilometers. 
Um, and we did these like very small sort of circuits and then mm-hmm. just let, you know, and then onto the straight onto the calls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we don't get that, that kind of like, like on the men's race, you get a hundred kilometers of the wind can play a role. You're kind of like setting up the race yeah. for ours. It was full gas, like a crit and then full gas yeah. into the cobbles. You know, we don't have this like game to play. And, and then, you know, and I, I want to see that all the, all our races are live televised kilometer zero that we can really tell the story and that we can also see how the race plays out. Like don't like watching the domestics and the teammates doing their job, right? Like half the time, uh, the best riders on our team are already out of the race when the cameras turn on because they've done s- such a good job beforehand. And, and um, yeah, that doesn't help tell the story of what our, our racing is about or give value to, to these positions that are on the team. Um, and also, yeah, with Perry Rubey, you know, we think of it, you know, such a, a step forward, but yeah, the, the cameras didn't turn on until it was too late. Um, and also when we see the, there was a lot of press about the prize money between the two and there's still so much disparity. So Mm -hmm. it was presented so much as like, Hey, equality, look at this, what we're doing. And yet there's still such a far uh, ways to go. So yeah, a good step. We got to celebrate those, you know, the, the little moments, but yeah, still a lot of pushing to do. There is a ways to go. And yeah, if it were perfect, we'd somehow be racing in Eden, but that that ain't happening yeah. just yet. It's bike racing with a heck of a lot of suffering. Um, well, in an effort to allow you the pursuit of bike racing and, and, and being able to live all things bike racing right now, uh, we will wrap up here shortly. Three quickfire final questions. Number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden. Number two, your favorite place to ride a bike. And number three, living or otherwise, who is the number one person you would like to go for a bike ride with? So, place I want to ride a bike that I haven't ridden yet. I guess I have two places. One, Slovenia. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear it is such an underrated country. Um, there's so much beautiful nature and not so much like busyness of city or whatever. And I just, mm-hmm. oh. Um, so, um, yeah, really want to plan a, a tour or training camp or bikepacking or whatever there. Um, and hopefully we'll actually, we'll be hosting a guided tour in 2023 in Slovenia. Okay. Um, also Colombia, yeah. really, right. What a place to ride. Um, yeah, I would love to go down there. Um, yeah, maybe I have to make it like a, my winter training ga- grounds, you know, skip the snow and yeah. <laughs> go to Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, places that I love to ride, I actually love. Um, I mean, where I started riding bikes is uh, Lower Mainland BC. So Abbotsford is where I'm set up, but outside of Vancouver, um, we're just like nestled in this valley of and the mountains around. Mm-hmm. Um, the the roads and the views and um, yeah, I love riding, riding here. Um, but also like the exploring the gravel that's out here. Nice. Whew, you're either, you're either, um, yeah, you can do like gravel rides along the dike, easy, flat, smooth, or you get these like 20%, 16% like forest server rows <laughs> that go like far deep and deep um, and just go. So there's so much 
to explore. Um, yeah, so it doesn't get boring. It's, it's yeah, my uh, favorite place to ride still. That's awesome. Um, right, it's also interesting, you know, you travel so much and then, like, you find that actually where you're from oh, yeah. is so awesome. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> All right. No, it's definitely it's gravitational, right? Like you want to go home. And, and so the most like mundane home ride is, is still that much yep. better than some place that you've been Googling after. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the last? Who number one person? Oh uh, Yes. Fictional, nonfiction, real living. Otherwise, um, hmm. well, it would actually be really cool to go for a ride with Chris Hatfield. So Canadians astronaut, Canada's mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> favorite astronaut. Um, but he's a great storyteller. He's uh -huh. got a, got some humor, uh -huh. um, very encouraging. So, um, yeah, there's just something like, I would just like love to swap stories and, and, um, yeah, that would be pretty fun if I tried. Right on. Perfect answer. I love it. I dig it. Um, well, I appreciate you taking the time. I I look forward to the year ahead after the year you've had and onward to good things. Thank you very much, Allie. Thanks, Ted. This was fun. <laughs>